Hey, Strange New Worlds listeners, it's Mike Wong, and this is episode 14. So at the end of your first year in graduate school in the Department of Geological and Planetary Sciences at Caltech, you have to take what's called a qualifying exam. This is a three-hour oral examination in front of a committee of five professors where you present two projects that you've been working on for the past year in grad school and answer scientific questions on the board about things that are related to those projects and sometimes the classes that you've been taking in your first year. It's a really grueling and really terrifying experience. I remember having to go through this and I was super, super nervous because no other kind of examination experience really mimics this kind of thing. So what the older graduate students do to help out the younger students is put together a mock qualifying exam or a pre-qual exam, as we call it, and pretending to be their committee for them and listen to their presentations and critique them a few weeks before their actual qualifying exam. Our guest from episodes eight and nine, Cecilia Sanders, whom we talked to about chemosynthetic life forms, what a biosign means scientifically, and how a tricorder might work in Star Trek. Well, she just did her pre-qual exam. So I was in the room uh, asking her scientific questions, listening to her presentations on her projects, and she did amazingly well. She was very brilliant and very eloquent, as you might expect, having listened to her on this podcast. And it turns out she has made some really outstanding progress on her projects since the last time we heard from her. So she described to us her experiments with chemosynthetic life forms, growing them in Mars analog rocks, and it turns out that they leave behind some really interesting things. Black biofilms and iron sulfide crystals precipitating out. So we should get her back on board Strange New Worlds to tell us what her results could mean for the search for life in the universe. So best of luck to Cecilia and the rest of her cohort in their qualifying exams. And with that, let's turn back to our discussion with doctors James Keane and Peter Gao and get to know them a little bit more through some rapid-fire Star Trek questions that I planned for them. I've got a couple of questions to ask of you guys to get to know you a little bit more and your relationship to Star Trek. And I've got a cool Klingon disruptor, courtesy of James, now. So let's begin. The lightning round. Okay. I don't I don't think Klingon disruptors have stun settings, so I <laughs> <laughs> uh, well you've got some protective force field, but excellent personal yes. shielding. <laughs> okay. You're watching an episode of Star Trek tonight. What series do you put on and why? Gut reaction is Voyager. Maybe that's just because we've been talking about blink of the blink of an eye. But Voyager is always sort of my I just need good old Star Trek, a reliably good episode. That's where I go to. That's a really hard question. Just go with your gut. Go with my gut. So I'm, I'm going to watch Azadi Prime from Enterprise. 
Oh, it's a specific episode. Oh, it's a specific, okay. uh, and that's the first episode that came to mind. It came, well, it came to my gut. Okay, why? Uh, it was just a really well put together episode. Uh, I used to watch bits of it almost all the time, just because the music composition of the of that episode was really really good. And you know, it has a great build up to the weapons reveal, and then the build up to the the space battle, and it hit all the characters very nicely. So I think it's just a nice episode to sit down and watch okay now this next question i think i know the answer to for james at least who do you identify with most kirk spock or bones hmm. it's not immediately kirk i mean at least uh, on your t-shirt <laughs> uh, so yes my answer is kirk um but i had to think about it because they're all good characters but yeah kirk for me i've always loved spock and mccoy but I never really pictured myself as either of them. I think I'll go with Spock. I mean, he has that, I guess, irrational human side, too, and I can certainly see that in myself sometimes, uh, but always trying to keep logical, especially when I'm trying to do research and not being angry at my code not working. (laughs) (laughs) All right, favorite Star Trek food or drink? Oh. Interesting one. I mean, I, I feel like I could probably go with like. I don't know. I feel like the default answers are like blood wine and Romulan ale. Yeah. But You're not a goch kind of person. No, I am, <laughs> I am not a goch person. Careful, he's holding a clay on the disruptor. <laughs> um. I don't know why this came to my head, but I'll I'll pull out an old reference. I'll go with Tranya. What is Tranya? That's from the, the original series episode with the, the Corbomite maneuver. Mm-hmm. And then they find uh, Ron Howard is <laughs> <laughs> the alien and he has orange juice. <laughs> That's some really good alcoholic beverage. I don't know why that came to my head, but I'll go with Tranya. Okay. I think I want dessert. What was that cake that was in that uh, really psychedelic episode? The Deanna Troy oh. cake. Deanna Troy cake. The... the Cellular peptide? The cellular peptide cake. With mint frosting. With mint frosting. (laughs) It's the mint frosting that seals the deal. Cherry on top, as it were. All right, final question of the lightning round. What is your favorite starship to draw? Um, This is a hard question for me for a few reasons. One is I love all all my starships. (laughs) Two, some starships are very hard to draw. For example, the Enterprise D is all very curvy. It's very hard to draw that very well. So, in the end, I'm torn between... No, I'm going to commit. My favorite starship to draw is the USS Grissom from Star Trek III. Wow. Whoa. Obscure. They recycled that ship in, like, every other TNG episode, so it's not that obscure. Uh, it's like saying the Reliant is obscure. Oh, yeah. Maybe maybe not quite. The Reliant <laughs> showed up in every episode of, like, Deep Space Nine. Yeah. They never retired that ship. Yeah. I, I like drawing the Grissom, the, the Oberth-class Grissom, because... Well, in part because I really identified with that ship. It was a little science ship, and I loved mm. my science. 
even though they got blown out of the sky in like 15 One minutes. photon <laughs> torpedo blast. Yeah, yeah. I, I really liked that ship for the science aspect too, but then I could just never get over the fact that it just got destroyed so easily. <laughs> These scientists are stronger than that sometimes. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah, no, it's a great design. It, it's a, Star Trek Three had a lot of interesting designs. It, you also got the Excelsior out of that. And I, I just really like the, the clean lines, the, the, the colors are really interesting on that ship. I was having a mental debate because my my runner-ups were were probably the the refit Enterprise from the motion picture and onward, and also Voyager, and they're they're all really great designs. I love all my starships. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I wouldn't call what I what I do drawing is more like doodling or chicken scratching. There are certainly starships that are really hard to draw. As, as James pointed out, I think my favorite to just have or hold, I, I have a Voyager model, and it's such a beautiful ship. It's it's one of those ships where it looks great from almost every angle, I think, but I really can't drive because it's so curvy. And so the, the default starship that I doodle every time I want to doodle something is the original Enterprise, because it's just oval, cylinder, some rectangles <laughs> and some more cylinders, and that's that's good to go. Yeah, I think you doodled that on one of my problem sets. Peter was my TA several years ago. Yes, mm-hmm. my proudest moment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so maybe you guessed that uh, that last lightning round question was a transition into talking about art. So, James, you are an avid artist, particularly as a science illustrator when you're not drawing starships. So, could you tell us, how, how did you start getting into drawing? I don't know if I can tell you the story of how I got into drawing because it, it's probably one of my earliest memories. I've just always drawn. And even with Star Trek, Star Trek was sort of melted in. I probably drew starships probably along with like teddy bears and things when I was in elementary school or something. I have just always liked drawing. and. I'm a very visual learner. In science, I find that drawing is very useful for not only conveying ideas, so I do a bit of science illustration, but also just helping myself understand and put together ideas for interpreting the physical world. Drawing is also particularly useful in geology. You end up doing a lot of drawing. Mm -hmm. Colored pencils are almost a requirement. Actually, they are a requirement for some geology classes. So I very much enjoy getting to do a little bit of art and science at the same time nowadays. So one of my favorite things to do is follow your Twitter account. What's your Twitter handle? My Twitter is at jtuttlekeen. So at J-T-U-T-T-L-E-K-E-A-N-E. Yes, lots of Irish words put together. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, when you're out at a science conference, you're always tweeting these amazing sketches in your notebook of the cool scientific figures that you're seeing presented uh, on the screens, and you're translating them into a piece of art, but also notes for yourself that you share with the rest of the world. So how how did that tradition get started? Science and Twitter have an interesting history in of themselves. And for a long time, scientists have been tweeting conference results or going on tweeting little summaries. It's actually a, a, an interesting process in itself, trying to distill your science down to 140 characters. I cheat a little bit and use pictures. But I've always sketched my own notes for science conferences, for classes I'm taking. And... I thought, hey, this might be fun to post. And so I started posting little snippets of what I was sketching to keep track of things. 
and that eventually spawned into its own thing because people really liked it. And so now, nowadays, I, I probably spend just as much time sketching at a conference as I do learning about science, and they've become quite a bit more complicated or ornate. But it's, it's really, I, I very much enjoy doing it. Um, it's so much easier to keep, to flip back several years and find that one talk you remembered if you've got a nice little illustration of, about it. Yeah. Yeah, they're really, really cool drawings. So I recommend that you follow James on Twitter to keep up with all of them. Is there a book coming? I, I just have to ask. <laughs> uh, well, there are publications coming with it, with these illustrations in ah, Tell us um, more about that. I am currently contracted with Nature Geoscience, which is a leading science journal to provide sketch. They're called SketchUps, little illustrations summarizing important results. We just had the first one published on the day of the eclipse, so probably no one saw it. But there will be about one one per month for the next few months as sort of a trial series. I do eventually want to do like a, an, a fully illustrated textbook or something. It's too easy to, to write a textbook that's all words and equations and for sure I, I i'd be reading a textbook and i'm like this whole paragraph could be replaced by a nice drawing right now <laughs> by mr james Keane. like this this is so, such a slog to read through but if there was a beautiful color sketch i would get it immediately and of course the enterprise will be hidden somewhere in <laughs> the yeah. easter egg yeah hit it on every page and I know that you were involved in an Art of Science exhibition back at the University of Arizona. What was that about? Several grad fellow graduate students and myself, we started the Art of Planetary Science. It's this completely free graduate student-run art exhibit that we put on at the University of Arizona in the Lunar and Planetary Laboratory, which is where I did my graduate degree. And we invite now I think it's a, we usually get about 200 artists each year, a lot of space artists submitting their artwork, a lot of amateurs, a lot of photographers, and also some scientists submitting artwork, trying to, to show the beauty of our solar system. And this is something that we've been doing now for, oh gosh, maybe four or five years now. And um, it's been extremely successful. We're actually kind of surprised that it worked, mm -hmm. but it turns out people love space and people love art so there's a really nice intersection point between the two and nice to talk about this in a star trek podcast because star trek has also been a point where this has always intersected we yeah. just talked previously about how we love all of our different spacecraft and those were all created by really good space artists like rick sternbach created a really beautiful uss voyager and i don't think he's actually submitted to our art show but he's part of uh, there's a International Astronomical Artists Association, which is sort of the official end of this spectrum of artists and scientists. When is the next art show? I believe that the next one will be in the fall of this year. The organizers are the current graduate students of the Lunar and Planetary Laboratory, so they, the, the exact schedule changes each year, depending mm -hmm. on like when the Wildcat football games are. Things of course, like yes. Football, very important. <laughs> okay, um, so yeah, uh, I, I saw your giant arsenal of colored pencils when you arrived, and I know you're capable of sketching any planet in the solar system or in the universe of any color, but what actually determines a planet's color? So it's all about what wavelengths of light a planet scatters or absorbs. 
So this is different depending on if you are a rocky planet, so you can directly see the surface, versus say you have a fairly dense atmosphere like the gas giants. So I can speak for the gas giants at least that a lot of it has to do with scattering in the atmosphere itself. For example, if you have a fairly clear atmosphere, then the planet may look blue, and this is due to increased scattering of blue light, and that's actually one reason why our sky is blue. So if you have a planet that is completely just made up of gas, then it will look blue. On the other hand, and perhaps unfortunately, planetary atmospheres are dirty and messy, and so there is plenty of stuff in the atmosphere that can absorb light at various wavelengths. For example, there are certain aerosols, just random little particles, that absorb strongly in the blue and reflect strongly in the red. And as a result, the planet end up looking orange or red. So and like Jupiter. Like Jupiter, right. So that's actually more complicated because, for example, the great red spot, right? So why is it red? We don't actually know that. We know it's probably something, some chemical species that is absorbing the blue light, but we don't actually know what it is because Jupiter's atmosphere is filled with all kinds of compounds like methane and trace amounts of ammonia, ammonia mostly in cloud form, but there's still some in the gaseous form, presumably, and various other things, hydrogen sulfide, all these things can be broken down by starlight or sunlight and then react with each other and create all kinds of funny things that can absorb in the blue. We just haven't nailed down what that specific thing is. Now, so for rocky planets, you have different things. You have certainly different surface textures. For example, as James mentioned, Pluto has the bright heart, but also has these dark red regions. I believe it's called Cthulhu Regio. Cthulhu Regio. Cthulhu. There, are, there are a few different Regios. Right. Darker, older terrains. There. Yes. Regio just means region? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and Cthulhu is what? Cthulhu is the elder god that we must all bow down to. No, it's a, it's a H.P. Lovecraft creation, I believe. Um, Fascinating. Yeah. So, as James mentioned... Well, the, new, the New Horizons team <laughs> had a lot of fun naming their geologic features on Pluto and Sharon. There are features on Sharon named for Star Trek characters and things like that. Yeah, that's Very always awesome. Fun. But they always say that it's not official names yet, but if we keep saying it, maybe it'll stick. The naming of things is a very interesting process in astronomy, mm-hmm. and yeah. <laughs> leave it at that. <laughs> All right, so, so uh, Cthulhu Regio. Cthulhu Regio, Regio is surprisingly red, and one hypothesis for that is that it is older material, and it is made up of organic hazes formed from methane photolysis. So you have chemistry happening in the atmosphere, creating aerosols that then is deposited on the surface, like rain almost. And once they're there, they will be bombarded by UV light from the sun, cosmic rays from the rest of the galaxy, and that will essentially initialize very slow reactions that will turn these simpler aerosols into more complex organic molecules that will absorb blue light again and make that part of Pluto look red. And there's various examples of all kinds of different colors. Earth, of course, is colored by biology, plants and so forth. Mars is red because of uh, rust yep. uh, on its surface, and so on and so forth. It's, it's a colorful universe. Excellent. All the better to draw. <laughs> okay, one last thing. This episode will probably air just a few weeks before the 
launch of Star Trek Discovery. And of course, you are both invited to my epic launch party on September 24th. What are you most looking forward to about Discovery? First, just in general, it can be anything. And then two, and this one's a little harder, something that is somehow related to your research. What do you just hope to see? There's been a revolution in planetary science since the last Star Trek series was on air. We know a lot more about exoplanets. We know, know, we now know that there are lots and lots of exoplanets, period. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing Star Trek writers hopefully take up some of these ideas and, and discoveries <laughs> and uh, put them into the show. And I'm also interested because our society has changed in terms of, of diversity and acceptance since, certainly since Kirk's days, uh, and also since the last Star Trek series, and we've already seen with more minority actors, more minority characters in the show, and I would love to see how they address current society's issues, as well as, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree on both points. So you're gonna have them visit a hot Jupiter or something. That'd be great. But for the diversity point, I'll start there. I am very excited for the increased diversity in this, and not just within the leads, but um, in particular, I'm pretty excited to have the first openly gay couple on the show. Mm-hmm. Anthony Rapp and Wilson Cruz will be playing them. It's been a long time coming. I mean, Star Trek has touched on sexuality a few times, mostly only barely, so it's nice to see that coming to the forefront. And yeah, I, I hope that they, they're able to touch on modern day issues and social issues. As for science, there is certainly a lot that they can touch on that has not been covered before um, beyond tachyon core planets. <laughs> so hot Jupiters, uh, these sorts of warm Neptunes, adjective plus solar system planet worlds that we've talked about before. The one I was thinking about this in the lead up, I had to prepare for this podcast thinking of what questions Michael would ask. (laughs) And um, the one place I realized that Star Trek has never gone to that's related to what I do is an ocean world, like an icy moon subsurface ocean. Pluto is an example of this. Star Trek has never been to Pluto, by the way. (laughs) That's true. The Enterprise V almost went to Pluto, but then (laughs) Guinan had to show up. So unless I'm mistaken, they've never been to like a somewhere equivalent to like a Europa or Enceladus, which is where NASA is currently targeting a lot of resources and trying to explore. So it would be interesting to see a Star Trek take on some of the, as, as here said, some of the more recent um, discoveries within planetary science. Yeah, it'd be interesting to go explore the depths of, you know, meet a civilization that emerged in an ocean. Wouldn't that be interesting? But Voyager had that ocean episode. That is but, true, yeah. Um, although they didn't, the, the aliens didn't live there. Yeah. That was an artificial ocean, I think. Yeah. 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 And the Zindi had their aquatics. Their, their aquatics and, yeah. And then the Andorians lived on an icy moon, mm-hmm. but we never had the combination of two. I don't know how it worked. But, um, and, and then also it'll be interesting to see where the, the writers of the show take this sort of in-between Enterprise and the original series. From a Star Trek fan perspective, I think it'll be interesting to see how they, how they meld the two or don't and what direction that they go. It's certainly, I think as most Star Trek fans will say, it's, it's kind of dicey territory going into the into prequel realm. But I'm optimistic that they'll be able to pull it off. 
Excellent. Well, I think that wraps things up. Follow James on Twitter at jtuttlekeen and Peter at planetarygao, planetary G-A-O, right? Mm -hmm. All right, um, that wraps up this episode of Strange New Worlds. Thank you both. I'm sure we'll have you on again in the very near future. And that concludes episode 14 of Strange New Worlds, our last episode before Star Trek Discovery drops this Sunday night. Honestly, the thing that I am most looking forward to about Star Trek Discovery is just having Star Trek back on TV, having a new episode every week. I have such fond memories from childhood of going to school and talking about the episode that had just come out last night, or getting really excited about the continuation of the story in next week's episode with my friends. And I'm just so excited to have those kinds of weekly conversations again, and this time, share them with you, the listeners of Strange New Worlds, wherever you may be. So enjoy Star Trek Discovery, and I'll see you out there. Oh, should should I? Do, do you want to know the answer? Okay. Well, I I wondered because you because I've listened to a few of these yeah. and like you'll ask like favorite captains and I don't know your. <laughs> <laughs> I think that time I did answer the question oh. and it took too long, so I cut it out. Yeah, we had a very uh, lively discussion of Janeway, I think, or and Kirk. Yeah, or, they yeah they thought I was a Kirk, but I'm not. <laughs> I like I like Picard. Um, let's see. What are what were the questions that I? We could read the questions to you, or, or read back, yeah. or just say, you, you, "What about you?" <laughs> <laughs> Four times. <laughs> uh, favorite uh, episode I would watch tonight. What series I would watch in Deep Space Nine? I haven't seen that in a while. Mm. Yeah, definitely some Dominion War arc. It's pretty serialized, though. That's why I mean I didn't pick it, because if you watch one, you have to start watching the others. All 12 parts. So yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, Not all nighter. Kirk, Spock, or Bones? Actually, between these three characters, I'd probably pick Kirk. Favorite Star Trek food or drink? I'm going to go with... I, I want to know what Raktagina is all about. I want to know what, what gives a cling on a jolt in the morning. <laughs> um, and my favorite ship to draw. Well, I'm definitely not uh, much of a drawer either, but... It doesn't, I, yeah, that doesn't have any say, bearing on the question. Yeah, mm -hmm. my favorite one to draw is probably... What should I go with? I could cheat and just say a board cube. I can draw cubes really well, and then I can make little like dots and lines to like articulate board, this. Board sphere is even easier. <laughs> They're deceptively hard to draw a board cube and a sphere because you have to get the details, and you can't just draw a solid cube in space. Yeah, so you could draw an, an original series like Cloud, Cloud, cloud spaceship, and Cloud enemy. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Okay. Thanks, guys. That yeah. was super fun. Put this in the outtakes. 
Yeah. <laughs> Are you still recording? I am. Yes, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Good.